message today. Um, I've been made aware that as people were bringing cookies in, our ushers were asking for free samples. Uh, I just want to say for the future reference, when we have, uh, when you bring, you, you do not need to give the ushers uh, free cookies and free samples. I think they took that on themselves to do that. Anyway, so it's, it's Christmas, y'all. It's time to start uh, the Christmas season, and uh, we're glad that you're here. We're going to start a new series on Christmas called Merry and Bright. Uh, we're going to celebrate the gift of salvation. And uh, one of the things that I really love about Christmas is uh, when my kids were younger, we would go to the tree farm, and you, you pick the perfect tree, and you cut it down, and you put it on the top of the van, and you drive it home. And then you get the standout, and, and then you get the decorations out, and then you put the lights on it, and then you... And it's, <laughs> but it was, it was fun. I, lo- I love the, the, the setting up of the tree, of getting the decorations out, and uh, just the fun of, of, of going to your family or friends' uh, houses over the Christmas season, and you get to celebrate and eat food that you don't normally get to eat the rest of the year. And it's just a lot of fun. And, and a lot of the thing, one of the things that I really like is you will get occasionally a card or a letter from someone that you may have lost touch with over the years. Or, uh, and so you're on their Christmas mailing list, and you'll get, a car, you'll get the, the update. I don't know if you ever have gotten these, but you get the card, and then on the inside is a, uh, like a three-page, single-spaced you know, review of the year, you know, we so-and-so went to the dentist, and then he got braces, and then, you know, but it's, it's, it's fun, because you're able to catch up on, on all these different things, and, uh, and so you get these wonderful, beautiful Christmas cards, and today what we're going to look at is way back in time, hundreds and hundreds of years, even before Jesus came, God sent a Christmas card, and so we're going we're gonna to be able to open up this Christmas card that God sent to his people, and it's an exciting thing because it's a card, it's a message of hope and of love and of brightness and light. We get to see all of these things. So before we jump into it, I want us just to just pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that the Bible is true, that we're able to take it and apply it to our lives, that we're able to take it and say, you know, Lord, what would you have to show me about you? And Lord, what would you have to show me about myself? And so, Lord, we just are so thankful to have this opportunity to gather together to look at your word. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So obviously, Christmas is the time when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the promised uh, one that we see even as early as Genesis chapter 3, where you have the fall. God comes to Adam and Eve in the garden, and he promises this one that's to come that will crush Satan's head, but even though he will strike his heel so we have this promise way back. You have the, he's of the, the lineage of Abraham. He's, he's of the tribe of Judah. He's going to be a prophet that's greater than Moses. He's the son of David. His rule will rule forever. So we have all of these prophecies and things that go along with who Jesus is. He's the righteous one, the king priest, the suffering savior. He's the babe born of a virgin. He's going to be born in the town of Bethlehem. We see all of these things laid out in prophecy. And he is Emmanuel. And we celebrate the birth of the Son of God who has come to dwelt amongst us. How wonderful. And so 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, Isaiah prophesied, he said this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's in Isaiah chapter 7. So Emmanuel means with or present with and L is God so it's God who is with us this promised child would be the with us God 
the God that's with us, just as God was with Israel in the wilderness, also Jesus Christ as God with us. He saves us, he guides us, he provides for us, he protects us. And so God, because God is with us in Christ Jesus, we will always be triumphant and we can always rejoice. And so that's, I think, the wonderful thing about Christmas is you're able to gather together with God's people and rejoice and remember what Christ has done. He has been born into the world, the God that is with us. And we discover that we can do all things through Christ. We can resist temptation because the devil has to flee. And in Christ, we have all that we need. We can rejoice in times of tribulations and be fearless in the face of death. All of these things, Christmas reminds us of these things. And so in 725 B.C., there was God's people were surrounded by the Assyrian armies. And guys, for his people, this was a very dark time. Because for them, they were about to be attacked and carried off into captivity, exile. Uh, but it was because they were morally bankrupt. They had, they had turned from God. They wouldn't listen to him. They wouldn't follow his ways. And so this was an act of discipline for his people. But at the same time, they felt crushed from all sides. It seems as though there was no hope. It was in this time of darkness. At that moment, God gave this word of light, gave this word of hope for his people. And so this morning you may feel completely overwhelmed. You may feel as though you are in darkness. And you need to hear what does God have to say to you? What is God's word to you this morning? It's the same as it was to his same God's people hundreds and hundreds of years ago, 700 years before Christ. It's the same to us today. He wants to speak to you this morning. And so we're going to do it in Isaiah chapter 9. So if you turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And so I'm just going to read all of the verses in the front, and then we're just kind of going to go through them verse by verse. All right, so Isaiah chapter 9, starting with verse 1, it says this. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as sun the day of Midian as on the day for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle torment and every garment rolled in blood will be turned as fuel for the fire and here we go here's the here we go verse six for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace and of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with with ruthlessness and with fear no with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore who will establish it how will this happen the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this 
So the gloom of verse 1 begins to turn into a brightness in verse 3. The darkness is turned to rejoicing. And it's giving in, in the tense there uh, is, is the present tense or this perfect tense. And the idea is that it's so certain that it's going to happen that it's written in such a way as that it's already happened. Even though it's predicted in the future, God has promised it and it's so certain it's written in such a way that it's already been accomplished. And so many years before the wise men came, before the shepherds bowed a knee, before any of that happened, this, this marvelous promise is given. A king is coming who is majestic, he is watchful, and he is wonderful. We are told in Isaiah 11 that this king is the stem of Jesse. He's following this root, and, and in verse 53, we're going to see that he is the suffering savior. We see all of these things about this promised one. So we're going to look at a couple of things, three big ideas. First, we're going to look at is he is marvelous in how he came. This promised king, how would he come? How would he appear? What should we look for when this king has been promised? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, it says. This king is, is earthly humanity. A, ch a child is born. And the, ch the child there is emphasized. And in the Hebrew text, the emphasis is on the child. This, a child will be given to us. Children represent newness and change. There's a new day coming. This new child that will be coming will present a new newness to the world. And thank God that he is a king uh, of change who does not change. This king that's going to come, is gonna, he's not going to change. He's from eternity. He's God. He's God in the flesh. We're going to see that in just a second. And he does not change. His word does not change. He does not change. But man, when he comes into our lives, we sure do change. He changes us. This king that's to come is a change. He's going to change our lives. Are you thankful this morning that Christ has changed your life? Are you thankful that he's come in and that he's done a work in your life and that you're not the same person you were 20 years ago or 50 years ago or 5 years ago? Praise the Lord that he is a God of change. James 1.7 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He doesn't change. He's the same, but he does change us. Does not change. A child, it says, is born to us. This is speaking about the human nature of Jesus Christ. And we, when we read, to us a son is given, it's emphasizing the divine nature of Jesus Christ, this child that is going to be born is going to be divine and so God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that God became flesh a change is coming for who for us the child the change that's coming this promised one that's to come this king that is coming is for us Galatians 4 4 says but when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This promised one, this king that's coming, this child of change is coming to change us so that we may be redeemed. He came in earthly deity. It says a son is given. The son is emphasized. An eternal being of God of glory. He's given. He's, he's the Son. In John 1, 1, we see in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning God. So it's God who has come. This King that's coming is the promised one, is God in the flesh. And there's never been a time when the Son 
has not existed. He's always been. He's eternal. Hebrews 1.1 says, Long ago, at many, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things and through whom all, also He created the world. So this eternal one that's coming, the creation, the creator himself is taking on human flesh and being born so that he can redeem his creation back to himself. And so God translated deity into humanity. It's this perfect wedding of two, the God and man all together. In John 3.16, it shows for God so loved the world. The reason he's doing all of this is because he loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son why so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life it's wonderful in how he came this god put on human flesh and came for us so that we may be redeemed second thing that we see is that he is majestic in who he is matthew 1 23 says behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name emmanuel and so when Jewish parents would have their child and they would say, we need to name our child something. What are we going to name our child? They said, this is what we want the child to be like, his character, and this is what we would like the child to do, his actions. And so they were very specific and very thoughtful in the name that they would give their children. And so there are four names that are given to us that God says, this is my son and this is what I choose to name him and you will call him these things. Look what he says. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Those four names. The first one is the Counselor. He is a wonderful Counselor who soothes my conscience. In Isaiah 9, we're told, for he will be called Wonderful Counselor. In the Hebrew text, we read, he is wonder. He's not a wonder. He is wonder itself embodied in one person. Jesus Christ is the greatest wonder imaginable, is that very person. Anything that you can consider wonderful, Jesus tops it all. As God, man, there is no one else like him. This morning, is Jesus a wonder to you? He should be a wonder to his people. Those that have called out his name and asked for forgiveness of salvation and cry out to him for eternal life, he should be a wonder. But even to the lost world, when you see this wonder of who Jesus is, should still draw it. As a wonderful counselor, we see that the war boots and the, war, and the bloody blankets are balled up and they're thrown into the fire. The forces of evil will be over. There, this king will defeat the enemy, capital E, the enemy, the main enemy will be defeated. And he brings peace also to our hearts. He's called the counselor who solves my confusion. He is glorious. He's unfailing in his wisdom. And church, our world around us is greatly confused about a lot of things. And if we want to say, what is the answer? How do we clear up all of this confusion? There's but one way, Jesus. Jesus is the great counselor. Hebrews 4 says, therefore, the promise of entering his rest still stands. We still have the opportunity to receive eternal rest with God. This fight, this battle that, we in, that we're enraged with God with, we fight and we rebel against him. God says, this is right. This is the right way. Do these things. And we say in our heart, no, 
I rebel against that. I fight against that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. And so we fight against God our entire lives. Therefore, while the promise of eternal rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news shall, but for good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So we have this battle that happens within us and we don't listen to God and we fight against him. And the counselor makes salvation very easy to understand. The great counselor comes and he says, look, here is your need. Here is what's going on with you. And here is the solution. As we have seen this morning, a lot, uh, or the, this, with the lighting of the candles and the decorations and all these things, it all points to who Jesus is. And so Joshua failed, if you remember in the Old Testament, to seek God's counsel. He's out with the people of God, they're out in the wilderness, and these people called the Gideonites, they, they dressed up in outfits and they kind of took their clothes and they made it, they, they took like rocks and stuff and like made it look worn, like they had come from a very far away, and they asked Joshua for a favor, and Joshua, instead of praying and seeking God's counsel, he gave them a quick answer. And because of that, he was, they were kind of stuck in a situation for a long time. Didn't seek God's counsel. Saul after he had, was defeated and had rebelled against God. He didn't seek God's counsel. God, turned, God said, Saul, what you're doing is not right. And he turned against him. And so then Saul went to a witch, right? The witch of Endor. We see, we see that he sought bad counsel. This world around us constantly wants to give you advice and tell you, here's what you need to do. Here's how to fix your problems. Here's, here's, how, here's, the, here's a, a moment of counseling for you. But we see in scriptures that Jesus is the great counselor. He answers the life's big problems. He answers the, 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 the rage within us that we have to fight against God. He counsels us on salvation. We see in Isaiah, back to that reference to, the, um, to the, uh, the Saul seeking bad counsel, it says, And when you say, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and, murder, and, and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? But I want to emphasize, should they not inquire of God? He is the great counselor. Also we see that he is, worth, he is a defender who fights before me. Mighty God, warrior God, El Gabor, the child has was nothing less than God. And so what battle did he fight? What did he need to do, this child born in a manger? We're going to see that he fought a battle far greater than Gettysburg. He fought a battle far more strategic than D-Day. He fought a battle far more crucial than any battle waged in Iraq or Afghanistan. All of those earthly battles are of no consequence to the battle he fought on Calvary. Right? He, he fought against sin and death and was victorious and rose again. The empty tomb stood as a memorial to this great battle. He is the mighty warrior. We also see that he is a watchful father who shows me, showers me with affection. Jesus is the everlasting father. It's a title that's given to him. He's a father of eternity, the source of all origin and order. We see that he's at the beginning of creation. He will make it all right in the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's Jesus. Hebrews 1.8 tells us that, he was thro that, that his throne is forever. 
and ever. It says, but, the son of ma- but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And so what is this father, this great mighty warrior, what is he like? Is he ruthless? Is he harsh? Is he hard? Is he uh, not compassionate? What is he like? As a father, he is compassionate. He's a provider. He is a protector, and it's eternal. It's forever. He is always faithful. He will never leave. He is with us every step of the way. Think of the, the prodigal son in the New Testament as a great example of this father. The son rebelled and he ran away, and yet the father stood and was ready to see him when he went upon the horizon. The writing of that, that, that story is, the, is the, the idea is that the father saw him from afar off, it says. Well, the only way he's going to see him from afar off is if he's looking, he's watching, he's waiting for the son to return. This loving father, when he comes back, he grabs the son and he hugs him and he throws a feast and he says, get the, get the robe and the ring and the fatty calf and, let's, and it's a celebration that his son has returned. And it says, let's celebrate. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. It's a celebration. That's the father picture to us. Jesus Christ is such a father to us. Do you have a father like that in your life? Next we see that he is the prince of peace who calms my storms. Isaiah 66, 12 says, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. When we have the presence of God in our life, we have peace. There's a, it's like a stream that rolls over us. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When the king comes, we have peace. There's a couple of different types of peace that God gives us. The first is peace with God. Remember when we were talking about how we're enraged and we're just fighting against God and it's within our heart to rebel and, and we, God says, go left. You're like, no, I'm going right, right? Tell the truth. No, I'm going to lie. Do these things to honor me. No, I'm going to just live for myself. We're in constant battle against God. Our entire lives, we rage against him. And so our, our souls are just in this storm. And then he comes into our life. He forgives our sin. He gives us life and purpose in that and we have peace with God. This peace, this battle that's within us finally is at peace. You can sit and just rest in the presence of the Lord and know that you are in good terms with him. He, is, he loves you. you he, your, your debt has been paid. There is nothing that you have between you and God. You are at complete rest, at complete peace. Romans 5 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. God through our Lord Jesus Christ through him we have also obtained access by faith to his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of the Lord we have peace with God we also have peace of God Philippians 4 7 and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus we could just rest in having that peace Next thing that we see, number three, this is the third major idea, is that he is mighty in what he will do. He's mighty in what he'll do. Look, 2 Samuel chapter 7. When your days are filled and you lie down with your fathers, 
I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I wish, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever. This king that's to come will rule completely. He will rule all of creation, will be on his shoulders. No one will be able to vote him into office. No one's going to vote him out of office. He is, he is the king. He will rule for all of eternity, and there will be no end to his rule. He is the eternal king who is coming. There will be peace from peacelessness, justice from injustice. He will rule powerfully. The, the father will see that his son will reign. He will make it happen. In fact, it says that he is zealous to make it happen. And so God, Jesus will come and God will establish, the Father will establish his kingdom forever. This one is the prince who, who brings peace, not by negotiation, but by conquest of all of his enemies. This mighty king will come and he will destroy the enemy and they will be flee before him. Peace comes to us from the cross of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 53 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The reason Jesus Christ came, took on human flesh, lived out a sinless life in front of us, so that eventually he would go to the cross, and all of those wounds, and all of those piercings, and all of those things that he endured was for us, so that we may be saved he was crushed for us and upon him, all of these things. But through that, we have peace. Ultimately, nothing else matters except what you think about Jesus. And God will never be able to give you a greater gift than his son. At this moment, uh, in the time of Christmas, when you think about Jesus and who he is, God cannot do anything better for you than that, than Jesus Christ, the son of God, coming taking on human flesh and so this Christmas card that I mentioned earlier this first Christmas card was telling us of a Savior who is for all of mankind but with any Christmas card what do you do with a Christmas card what do you do with your Christmas cards right you take it you get it I'm like oh the I'm not gonna say a name because somebody might be in here with that name right oh the so-and-so's uh, send us a Christmas card how wonderful and you just throw it in the trash now, you could do that. You could do that. Oh, the so-and-so sends a card. How great. You throw it away. Or you take it and you, you know, take your finger and you run it through and you pull it out. And you go, oh, how wonderful. And you sit it on the shelf or you hang it on the, on the little string or put it on the Christmas tree or whatever it is that you do with your Christmas cards and you treasure it. So this, this morning, you can really do two things with Jesus. You could take what he offers, his gift, and you can treasure it and go, you know what, I need to think about this. I need to ponder these things. I need to be reminded of what Christ has done for me. And you think about it, you treasure it, or you just trash it. Right? You leave this room today, you don't think anything else about who Jesus is and what he did at Christmas, and you think about the lights and the poinsettias and the cookies that we're about to eat in just a minute, and that's it. That's Christmas for you. That to me is very sad. Because if all Christmas is to you are the lights and the poinsettias and the decorations and the warm feeling that you get when you're sitting around the table with family and that's it you've missed it my friend you have missed what Christmas is all about Christmas is about Jesus coming as a child the God King who took on human flesh for the sin of the world what a wonder there is no wonder beyond and greater than that 
Do you know him this morning? Here's how you get to know him. He's made it very easy. Right now, if, if you are considering salvation, right, the Holy Spirit is working within your heart right now. Right? He's, he's making you think of some things, or he's, you're feeling a particular way. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. And I want you to think about a couple of things. One is, I need you to be willing to admit, not me, but the Bible, is you need to be willing to admit that you are a sinner, which basically says, I have sinned against God. I have done things that I know are not pleasing to him, uh, that I have broken his word, I have broken his commandments. Um, I know that the Bible says to do this, but I've done this instead, right? You have to be willing to admit that. If you're here saying, I don't think I'm that bad of a person. I think if I appear before God and he were to say why I should let you into my heaven, I think I could just give a laundry list of these things I've done. You know, I helped my grandma and I cut the grass over here and I gave this whatever. And you just go through this laundry list of things. That's called works, right? Works righteousness does not get you into heaven. The Bible is very clear about that. There's whole books of the Bible written about why that doesn't work. It's the only way. So you have to be willing to admit that you're a sinner. B, I'm going through ABC, right? B is believe that Jesus Christ came to die for you on the cross. And the reason that he came from heaven as the Son of God, took on human flesh, was pierced, and all of those things, the reason for that was so that we could be forgiven of our sin. On the cross, God did something that only God can do. He took all of our sins off of us and placed them on his Son on the cross. The Son, Jesus, never sinned, never did anything wrong. And so what God did in a way that only God can do is he took his righteousness off of him and put it on us. Right? That's the great exchange that happens, is that I in faith believe that Jesus died for me and that he is the only way for me to be forgiven of my sin. And when I put my faith in him, God says, okay, I'm going to transfer his righteousness over to you. Your sin, your sin debt, your sin problem, all those things you've ever, you're forgiven. You're done. That's all you have to do. You're forgiven. You just walk before, you just, not, now you're, you are his disciple, you are a follower of God, you just follow Jesus. You, but you have to be willing to believe what the Bible teaches on that. And then C is confess him as my Lord and my Savior. Right? So Lord means that now he's in charge. Right? Up to this point, you've lived your life the way you wanted to do it. And it's gotten you separated from God. It's gotten your soul all in a storm and a torment. All the, you're not at peace with God. You're, you're rebelling against everything. You have to confess that he is Lord. Lord, you're in charge now. I'm out. I'm not in charge. You say go left, I'm going to go left. You say go right, I'm going to go right. I'm going to do what your word says for me to do. I, you are my, my Lord. And then the next other part of that is Savior. Savior means that he is the only way that you will be forgiven of your sin. You're going to stop trying to be a good person in order to get into heaven. Because I'm going to tell you, that way of living is exhausting. You try to be good enough, you try to work hard at being good enough, try not to sin, you try to give up this bad habit, you try to do all, now do you love me, God? Now do you love me? You love me now? Oh, I failed again, right? Because you're going you're to mess up. You're going to not, then you try harder, you keep trying, you keep trying, you work so hard, you do all these things, you just fail, 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 fail. So you go through all your life on this trying to just be a good person and it keeps failing. Just just let just give it up. Just stop. And say, God, I just I'm just giving it all to you. I'm putting my faith in you. And I'm gonna I'm gonna trust that you are the way that I'm going to be saved. 
I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a second, and we're going to go back through that very quickly. If you're here today, you've never prayed to receive Christ, but you know that the Holy Spirit's working within you. Drew, I'm just not right. I know something's not right with me, with, with how I'm relating with God. I feel like I'm separated from Him. We're going to make that right today. So join me in prayer, if you would. Dear Jesus, we thank you that we're able to come before you in prayer. We thank you that uh, we're able to just um, to present our request and to put our, put our needs at your feet. And Lord, this morning I come because I believe there may be someone in this room who doesn't know you. And they know that their heart is rebellious against you. And Lord, they, know, they feel that you're doing a work in their life. They want, they want to be made right with you. They just don't know how. Friend, you could say a prayer, something like this to yourself. Dear Jesus, I just admit to you right now that I'm a sinner. I know I have done things that displease you. I believe that you came to this world. I believe what the Bible says. I believe that you died on the cross. Lord, I'd like to be forgiven of my sin. I want to put my faith in you. I believe I believe in you. I put my faith in you. And I confess you right now as my Lord and my Savior. Lord, I want to follow and do what you want me to do the rest of my life. And Lord, I believe that you are the only way for me to be saved. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Greg's going to come and lead us in what we call a song of invitation. And all that is is we want to give you an opportunity.